Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hi, and welcome back to episode two of the Pens Cast. This is our fifth, I think, on the feed now, but this is going to be the second full-length podcast we do. We did a couple post-game recaps last week that were fun to do, well, some more than others. Um, but yes, this will be the second full-length episode we're going to do here, and we're going to talk about everything that happened this past week with the Penguins. There was obviously four games that were played. The Penguins went 2-2 two and two in those games. We're going to get into that a little bit. Not as in-depth as we did with the post-game recaps, but we're going to talk about that. We're going to talk about the rest of the way here for the Penguins, what they need to do to get into the playoffs, and just some general stats, notes, stuff like that about what's up ahead for the rest of this Penguin season, regular season, and all goes according to plan, hopefully postseason. And let's get into that right now. As I said, the Penguins went 2-2 two and two this past week with victories over the Colorado Avalanche and Washington Capitals on Wednesday and Saturday, respectively. But before that, things were looking really glum when they lost 2-1 to one against the Ottawa Senators in a game where they outplayed the Ottawa Senators in just about every way, shape, and form other than in the goal category. They threw, I believe, 49 or 48 shots at uh, goaltender Dylan Ferguson in his first career NHL start, and he, the Penguins were just unable to finish on those, only getting one past Ferguson. I believe it was a Ricard Raquel goal, and the Senators, at the very end, was actually a one nothing game for a good bit. Penguins tied it toward the end, and then at the very end, another heartbreaker, where I believe it was Drake Batherson from a Brady Kachuk passed into the slot was uh, he was the hero in that one at PPG Paints Arena. So it was a very sad, a very, you know, depressing feeling around the arena because that was a game that they could have won and they really needed to win because at that point they were fresh off of three straight losses, one from one to Montreal the week prior and then back to backs, um, in Madison Square Garden against the New York Rangers. So at that point, they were on a three-game losing streak. They could have used a win to get things going, and they just prolonged the losing streak to four after that one against a team that was in the wild card hunt for a while there, but then has started to taper off as of late, and they're pretty much out of it, I would say, now in the Ottawa Senators. Wednesday, things were looking... Glum coming off of that four game. Uh, I hate to use glum twice, but they they weren't looking great going into that Wednesday game in Colorado against the defending Stanley Cup champion Colorado Avalanche. The only upside for the Penguins was that the reigning Norris, reigning I think he won the Conn Smythe, uh, the best defender in the league, Kel McCarr, was not going to be playing that game, and that obviously bodes well for the Penguins, who also were without much of their NHL defense at that point as well. They won that game 5-2. to two. Tristan Jari did start that game, and he played a fantastic game. But little did we know until the next day in Dallas that something happened with Tristan Jari where he tweaked something, which, you know, breaking news, right? And he would not be starting on Thursday either, which honestly probably wouldn't have started anyways, 
because he started Wednesday and it's back-to-back and it's on the road. So I was assuming DeSmith was getting that start against Dallas anyways, but the injury all but solidified that into being a Casey DeSmith start and actually necessitating a Dustin Tokarski call-up where the story goes he had to drive from Scranton, PA, where he's with the Wilkes-Barre Scranton Penguins, all the way to Newark, New Jersey, and catch a flight to Dallas to make that game, where he actually missed his first flight, and he caught the second one that went to Dallas, and he, I believe he didn't arrive until the second period. So basically, with the first, with, through the first period, he was on the lineup card, uh, you know, as the backup goaltender, but was not in the building. He was not probably even in Dallas at that point. He was probably still in the air when puck dropped, which is you know, kind of an odd situation there. And they there was obviously the uh, emergency backup, the e-bug if necessary. But luckily for us, we did not need that. Casey DeSmith was able to play the entire game. And they inevitably lost that game. But more about the Avalanche game really quick. The Penguins played a full 60 minutes there which is not something we see most Penguin games. Even games that they look really good in, where I'm going to get into in a little bit here, they've been collapsing in their third periods. It's been such a big issue for this team where they cannot hold a third period lead for the life of them. It's been basically every single game here. Uh, but somehow against the best team, in one of the best teams in the league, the defending Stanley Cup champions, they did that. And I talked about in the post-game recap of that one, because I did do a post-game recap for that one. Only one we didn't do a post-game recap for was the Dallas game, uh, which maybe could have necessitated it, but, you know, that aside, the Penguins played a full 60 minutes that game against Colorado, and they finished it out. And I think a big part of them winning was getting bottom six help, where the top six didn't have to score all of the goals. Jeff Carter scored two of those goals. They were, you know, not the most talented of goals, not the most skillful goals, but he buried them. The one was a deflection from the point from Brian Dumoulin. It was actually, I talked about it in the postgame, it was either a really good pass or a bad shot from Dumoulin. Not sure exactly what his intentions were with that one, but either way, it got right to the blade of Jeff Carter, where Jeff Carter was able to direct it in. So great play either way on both of their parts and the other goal was a power play goal where it was a little uh it was actually a nice play it was granland zucker rust passed it uh and they basically made a chain and got it all the way to carter who was right in front of the net and was able to bury it past georgiev and that's how the penguins won that game it was not having to rely on just top six goals they were able to get some help from the bottom six and props to the defenders on this team that aren't NHL defenders, or at least the season aren't. Taylor Fadoon, Chad Ruedel, uh, who am I missing? Uh, Mark Friedman. Those guys are playing way above their pay grade, literally at this point, but they've been performing well enough to not be the reason the Penguins lose. And I think in that game, they obviously helped keep a high-powered offense in the Colorado Avalanche to just two goals, but also... Credit where credit's due, Tristan Jari had a fantastic game against Colorado, and it's really a shame that he got injured in some way, shape, or form again, that poor guy, in that game, because it was a fantastic performance. Nathan McKinnon was buzzing around the uh, around in his, the offensive zone in that game. He hit a couple posts, I believe, but Jari came up big when he, they needed him to, held him to just two goals, and the Penguins left Denver with a victory. And then flew down to Dallas for the Thursday game, where another game, like the Ottawa game, they were in it the entire time. They You may you can make the argument that they outplayed Dallas. And I, I don't have all this, the uh, statistical categories right in front of me, but I'm willing to bet that Peng, the Penguins had a lot better chances. They I think on the uh, money puck deserved a win a meter, which is, you know... Not everyone, everyone takes with a grain of salt is what I'm trying to say. You shouldn't, you know, base everything on that. But it's been the story of the last two months, three months for this team, maybe even the entire season where they will outplay teams, but they just fumble it at the end. And that's kind of what happened in this Dallas game where I watched and I thought they really deserved to win that game. 
But unfortunately, right at the end, they give up that third goal, and that's history. They're not able to to uh, execute with the uh, you know the, the goalie pulled in the last couple minutes. And Dallas, who is a really good team, I think that they're kind of being underrated amongst the ranks of the Western Conference. They're able to pull out the victory over the Pittsburgh Penguins, three to two. Really close one, could have gone either way, but Dallas gets the two points. Penguins lose in regulation, leave the Big D with nothing. But they come back Saturday to PPG Paints Arena for a primetime ESPN showdown with their greatest rival. I mean, it could be debated Philadelphia, but within the last decade, two decades, it's been Penguins Capitals. It's been one of the best rivalries in all of professional sports. It's Sidney Crosby. It's Alex Ovechkin. Two superstars that started started their careers basically at the same time. They got drafted a year apart, but they came in the same time because of the lockout, obviously. Um, But it was a great game. We talked about it in post game. It was a fantastic game. As a fan, if that's your if that's your first game you've ever witnessed, as a you know first hockey game you've ever watched, you became a hockey fan because of that game. It had everything. It had Casey DeSmith again had to start because uh, Tristan Jari was still injured. Jari was well enough to back up, so that's you know bright side. But Casey DeSmith started. He had some fantastic saves. I tweeted this out during the game. The second period for Casey DeSmith may have been his best period as an NHL player. He was left on a two-on-one with flaming hot John Carlson, who has been on fire since he came back from injury. He had a horrific injury, fracturing his skull, which, you know, God bless some power to him that he was able to come back this season and play it's, it's a great story, you know, rivalry aside. It's awesome that he's back and playing because the league is better when he's there. He's a former Norris winner, fantastic player. It's a two-on-one with the greatest goal scorer of all time in Alex Ovechkin, soon to be at least, and John Carlson. And Casey just robs Carlson. Everyone in the arena is looking at Ovi bringing the puck in and they're like, best shot ever. He's going to shoot it. He's going to score and you know that's going to be that but that's not what happened he passed to Carlson who one time blasted it from the left circle and Casey DeSmith got his pad on it and it was fantastic and there was many more like it in that game where he just made some incredible saves and kept that game in reach for the Penguins because I was talking about it before the Capitals easily could have went into that third period, even probably into the uh, second period, with a two or three goal lead over the Penguins based on the chances they were getting. But Casey DeSmith came up huge in a season where goaltending has not been huge for the Penguins. He came up massive in those periods, and the Penguins were able to execute. The top six performed well, um... I, I did have one note that I was actually going to talk about later in the grand scheme of things, but specifically in that game, something I noticed, Chris Tang looks tired. He has been playing in lieu of all of the injuries of Patterson, Petrie, Ruda, Kulikov, with all these AHL defensemen, which, not an insult, but that's just what they are. Rue Weedle's been, you know, in previous years, he's been the seventh defenseman, but all in all, about half of the N- the defenders on the Penguins' top six right now are not NHL players. It's not an insult whatsoever. But Latang has been playing about 30 minutes to make up for all that, and he looked really tired, especially in that Capitals game where he had that giveaway on his own blue line. I believe it was Kuznetsov. Took it away, came in, Wrapped around the net, passed right in front to Tom Wilson, who standing in the crease, just bumped it in. It was not he was probably the least effort goal Tom Wilson's ever scored, and you know more power to him. That means Kuznetsov made a great play to to uh, get the Smith moving and out of the net, and it gave uh, Wilson space and time to just tap it in. Much like Happy Gilmore, all he had to do was tap it in. But Malkin, that goal that. Game-winning goal with 
80 seconds left. Phenomenal. He took a dumb penalty, you know, punching after the whistle. And I'm sure he felt some regret about that one. But, and and that's obviously whenever the Capitals came back to tie it up. But he took it personally. He actually really is such a determined player whenever he gets that fiery mist in him, you know? Whenever he he is, he performs so well under the bright lights. He's a very up and down player. You look at Sidney Crosby in his career, he performs at 90 to 100% all the time. You don't see that with Malkin. Malkin very much is a, some games you'll get 30%, sometimes you'll get 50, sometimes you'll get 70. But a lot of times it's either in that 20 where you see him and you're like, come on, Malkin, we know you're more. You're more than that, but sometimes he's a hundred. And when he's a hundred, there are few players in this league who can take over a game or a moment more than Evgeny Malkin. And that's what you saw Wednesday, sorry, Saturday, pardon me, with that game winning goal that he scored against the Washington Capitals. He performs under the bright lights. There's nothing more you can say about it. He performs so well when the moment is on. And that's exactly what happened. So, during the past week, like I said, Penguins went 2-2. Two and two, But, because of how close those games were with Ottawa and Dallas, the Penguins can't be satisfied. It easily could have been a 4-0 week. Which, if you look back at the schedule, that is kind of crazy. Because Ottawa and Washington are two teams that, for up until recently, were in the wildcard chase. You have the Colorado Avalanche one of the best teams in the league, reigning Stanley Cup champions. And you have the Dallas Stars, one of the best teams in the league as well. I think the two of them are the my two odds-on favorites to make it out of the West, Dallas and Colorado. So knowing that you outplayed the opponent in basically all four of those games, you can't be satisfied with just four points. You, If you're the Penguins, if you're Coach Sullivan, you have to look and be kind of, you know, PO'd. Not Joseph. PO'd that you could have gotten eight. You could have gotten seven. You could have gotten six. Instead, you leave that, that week with four. But with all that being said, they're still in good position at this point. In better position now on Monday, March 27th at 4.23 p.m. Better position now to make the playoffs than they were you know, throughout the week where there were points where they were out of it. But Florida's been on a skid now. New York, you know, has been iffy. Penguins can really take advantage here and not just make the playoffs. I think they have a good chance, if they perform well in these next few games, to get that number one wild card. Let's look at the schedule coming up for this next week. Tomorrow night, 7 p.m. puck drop in Motown. It's Penguins-Red Wings. The only away game for a bit here, as on Thursday, March 30th at 7 p.m., puck drop from Smashville between the Penguins and Predators. Again, those are two teams out of the playoff mix. Well, Predators have been making a push a little bit recently, but either way, Red Wings are, are out of it. Predators are in the mix, but not there yet. Then on Saturday, April 1st at 3 p.m., it is Boston, it is Pittsburgh at PPG Paints Arena. That's going to be a tough one. By far, their hardest game remaining in the schedule is that game because there's no team that compares to the Boston Bruins this season. And I think it'll be a wake-up call for the Penguins team because it's going to. I think it's going to motivate them to win out or do is or perform as well as they can in their final six games after that game because if they don't and they get they squeak in and get that second wild card they're going to be locked in a cage with the Boston Bruins for four to seven games and that is not a series I don't think anybody wants I know there have been people pundits in the media saying oh you know I think that they can they can match up against Boston well I don't care I don't care. I simply do not care. Yes, this team can get hot. Yes, the top six is fantastic and can carry a team, carry this Penguins team through anything, I believe. I think when 
all three of them are playing at their best and you have you know adequate to good goaltending they the Peng- this penguins team can win any series but i don't think my heart can take it i don't think my eyes or my brain can take it i don't think i can handle a series against the boston bruins for one i do not like boston sports teams at all i don't think any pittsburgh sports fan can like boston sports teams at all you know we go back to 2013 where the penguins were swept in the eastern conference final after one of the best rosters constructed in my opinion they had a great team going into the deadline. They add Genla, they add Brendan Morrow, they add UC Jokinen, they add Doug Murray. And they were killing it through the first two rounds, and then they absolutely fumble in that third round. Look at every matchup the Steelers have had against the Patriots during the Brady era. Just every, the heartbreak of every Steelers fan. It was great when they could beat the Patriots, but more often than not, you left that Sunday night disappointed. Pittsburgh sports fans are, you know, programmed to not like Boston sports teams. It's going to be con- contentious. It's going to be hot online. You have the most biased play-by-play broadcaster in Boston and Jack Edwards. And to boot, there's a new little edge to this rivalry if you want to call it that in that Fenway Sports Group who owns Nesson the New New England Sports Network who may be broadcasting Penguins games coming up soon maybe we don't know uh, with the whole AT&T Sportsnet thing going down Fenway if you couldn't put the put two and two together is Boston is from Boston they are the Boston Red Sox owners they obviously, like I said, own Nesson. They own Liverpool, but that's obviously not a Boston really entity. But so there is some deep ties between Boston and Pittsburgh. And I don't want it. I don't want to see the Bruins fans dunking on us when they sweep us in four. Or I don't want to hear them at all during a seven-game series. I, I do not want that series whatsoever, especially in the first round. I mean, if that's what what the Penguins need to do to get through in like a like you know round three maybe, whatever I'll deal with what you, you know you deal with what you got to deal with. But no one wants a Penguins Bruins round one in Pittsburgh. No Pittsburgh fan wants that. It's so much more preferable to get that first wild card spot above the Islanders and get one of either Carolina probably or maybe New Jersey. So I think that Saturday game is going to be a big wake-up call, win or not, because it's going to be so difficult to beat that Bruins team because they don't lose very often. <laughs> I don't know if that's breaking news, but they're not they're not whole, really cool with that whole losing thing. But besides the point, like I said, Detroit tomorrow at 7 p.m., Nashville Thursday at 7 p.m., Boston Saturday afternoon in Pittsburgh, and then you have... On Sunday evening at 6 p.m., you have a puck drop with Philadelphia, the Flyers. And that's the four games on the docket for this coming week for the Penguins. And while we're looking at it, I'm going to take a look here at the wildcard picture as it sits currently. And I made a little cheat sheet that I usually do for the radio network, but I'm going to use it for myself now because it's my property. I make it. Current wildcard picture is at 83 points in 74 games. The Islanders are in wildcard one. The Penguins are in wildcard two with 82 points and 73 games played. And outside looking in, the Panthers are 74 points and 73 games played. And don't look now, but the Sabres are at 76 points with 72 games played and could maybe get into it if they win their one game in hand that they have against Florida and well, not against Florida, but the one, the one game in hand they have with the Penguins and Panthers, they'll sit at 78 points, which will be four points behind the Penguins and just one behind the Panthers. So don't look now, but they could get into it. Washington also has 76 points, but they've played 74 games. So they're further out of it than the Sabres. With that being said, games remaining as it stands right now, on Monday evening at 4.30, 
It is eight games remaining for the Islanders, including tonight's matchup against the Devils. Nine games remaining for the Penguins. Nine games remaining for the Panthers as well, but that includes their Monday night matchup in Ottawa tonight. So those are two games Penguin fans are going to watch, you know, pretty closely as the Islanders host the New Jersey Devils and the Panthers go up to Ottawa and play the Senators. Huge games, huge implications for the Penguins moving forward in those two games. A little stat I like to do just to give me an idea of where things are because game everyone's played different games. It's hard to get like an idea. It's just looking at the standings on where teams actually would be if all things were equal. The current 82-game pace. Basically, you take the points for each team and divide it by games played and then multiply it by 82 games played. The Islanders are at 91.97, so basically 92 points. The Penguins are at 92.11 points, so a little over 92. So they're basically neck and neck. They're very close to being neck and neck, the Islanders and and, uh, Penguins. And then the Panthers are at 88.74, so basically 89. That's It's going to be as close of a wild card race as you've seen in a while. It may come down to the final game here. Uh, and that's not just between, you know, number two and being out of the playoffs. It's between It could be between for wild card one, for wild card two, and being out. Could all be decided at game 82. That's how close and neck and neck this is going to be moving forward. Another stat I like looking at with at this point in the season is strength of schedule. And this there's obviously different ways to measure that. I get it through tankathon.com, which is a good website that um, you know for strength of schedule, but they also have a draft lottery simulator, which I like to do. And it's bigger this year than ever because Connor Bedard is the lottery, you know, the lottery winner winning, excuse me, for teams that can do it, can win that lottery that are in it. We are not probably will not be so we're not that's not the point part of the website i look at i look at the strength of schedule and for these three teams that are in this hunt the islanders sit at the 14th hardest remaining schedule and they have two games against tampa one against new jersey one against carolina that's four playoff teams there and then there are other four games there's two against washington one philadelphia one montreal those are three, well, sorry, four games against non-playoff teams. So that's why they are at 14th hardest or 19th easiest, depending on how you're looking at it. The Penguins are at the 20th hardest remaining schedule or 13th easiest. They have a game, obviously, like I said, against Boston, one one against New Jersey, one against Minnesota. And then there are are, uh, other games, which are considered easier games, according to this, the formula they use, are Colum- one against Columbus, one against Chicago, one against Philly, two against Detroit, and one against Nashville. Those are all, all the non-playoff teams. And then like Boston, New Jersey, Minnesota are the playoff teams that we have to play going forward. And then right, behind, right in front of or behind the Penguins, depending on how you're looking at it, are the Florida Panthers. They have the 19th hardest schedule or the 14th easiest. They have two games against Toronto one against Carolina, and those are their playoff teams that they have to play going forward. And then their non-playoff games are one against Columbus, one against Montreal, one against Washington, two against Ottawa, and one against Buffalo. So all in all, pretty even there. The Islanders have it a little harder than the other two teams, but just because teams aren't in the playoffs doesn't mean those are automatic wins, especially when you're the Penguins. The Penguins have never been one to necessarily play up to their opponents. Um, sometimes they play down to their opponents. Sometimes they aren't up for the games they should be up for. Case in point, they lost to Ottawa, but beat the Avalanche. Um, you know, obviously that you know, jokes aside, though, that was uh, you know, the they performed well in both of those games. So I don't want to give them too much crap on that one. So we know what the path ahead is. We, now we're going to go into how, the how. Nine games remaining. If the Penguins go six and three in those nine games, which three are against playoff teams, six are against non-playoff teams, so let's just call it like that. They will end the season with 94 points. Now, if they want the first wild card spot, that means the at that point the Islanders 
would need to finish below them at 93 or worse points, and same with the Panthers. The Islanders would need to go 5-3 and three or worse to get below 94 points. I have them at 93 points if they go 5-3. and three. The Panthers would need to do 7-2, and two, their remaining 9 games, to get to 93 points. So, the Penguins are in a good position to, if they go 6-3 and three, to make the playoffs. Maybe get the first wild card there. Because you're looking at the Islander schedule. If you need them to lose three, oh, uh, yeah. If, they, if you need them to lose three to get that to that position, they have two against Tampa, one against Carolina, one against New Jersey. It's it's very plausible that they lose three or more. And I don't expect Florida to go seven and two the rest of the way. So if the Penguins can win six out of the remaining nine games, I think the odds are very good that they get that first wild card spot. But let's say it doesn't go that well. If the Penguins go 5-4 and four the rest of the way, that leads them with 92 points. In order to get the first wild card spot in that point, at that position, they need the Islanders to go 500 the rest of the way. They need them, them to go 4-4-0 four, four and o to end with 91 points, one less than the Penguins' 92. And then if they want to just beat out the Panthers at that point just to get the second wild card, the Panthers would need to go 6-3-0 and o or worse. 6-3-0 gets them to 91 points. Again, one below my projected 92. Let's say things go even worse for the Penguins. Let's say they hit a cold streak here, something happens, whatever. Excuse me. If they go 4-5-0, they will end with 90 points on the year. At that point, to get the first wild card, you would need the Islanders to go 3-5-0 or worse. That leads them with 89 points. Or, if you want to make, just make the playoffs and just get above the Panthers, you need the Panthers to go 5-4-0 and end with 89 points. Or worse, obviously. So, if the Penguins can win six of their next nine games, I think they're in a good spot. I think they're in a good spot to probably get the first wild card, but at the very least, get into the playoffs if they can win six of their next nine, their final nine games. If they can't do that, if they win four or five, things get a lot more difficult. If they win four, they basically don't have a shot at wild card number one. That's the point we're at right now. So when the games, when the amount of games becomes less and less remaining, each game gets so much uh, more important. One win or two wins difference can mean you know, so much of a difference for playoff matchups. Four wins till the end, you may miss the playoffs. Five wins till the end, you probably get wild card two. Maybe you might get first. You might get out of the out of the playoffs altogether if you win five. But if you get six wins the rest of the way, your chances of getting that first wild card are good. And your chances are almost guaranteed of being in the playoffs. So that's where things sit right now. Obviously, like I said, tonight there are games between the Islanders and Devils. And then and then the other matchup is the Panthers and the Senators. Though That's going to change everything. Whatever happens there is going to completely change what I just said. At least in terms of the remaining, uh, remaining you know, what the other teams need to do to get to where they, they need to be to make the playoffs or get the first wild card. But that's where it sits as we sit, talk right now. And I'm going to try to update these as we go. I usually do before every Penguin game um, for the radio network to use. So either way, I'm going to update these numbers and keep an eye on it. But I think, it, I think it's good information to know. Basically, if the Penguins were to lose to the three playoff teams that they have left in the schedule, Boston, New Jersey, Minnesota, if they lose those three games, they need to win the six non-playoff games, non-playoff team games, Columbus, Chicago, Philadelphia, two against Detroit, and then Nashville. But knowing the Penguins, they're probably going to wake up and play well against some of those playoff teams. So let's say for the sake of it, they beat New Jersey, they beat Minnesota, but they lose to Boston. 
there's a good chance that they lose to some of those non-playoff teams because that's just how the season's been. They fired everything they could at Ottawa and still lost that game. So just because a team isn't in the playoffs does not guarantee you're going to win that game. And that's just that's just how it goes. Moving forward, I'm happy that we got to take a look at that. That's good information to know. Um, I want to talk a little bit about Casey DeSmith. We don't know if he's going to be the goaltender moving forward in the rest of the season. From what I heard, right after Jari missed the Colorado game, not the Colorado, sorry, the Dallas game, I heard that it didn't look good for Tristan, that it could have been another injury that kept him out for long term. But that seems to have been proven wrong as he played, well, he didn't play, but he backed up Casey on Saturday. So I'm not exactly sure what the nature of that injury is. I know earlier today, some media members talked with um, head coach Mike Sullivan, and I want to see, I forget exactly what was told. So Rob Rossi tweeted this out at 1225 earlier today. Mike Sullivan said, Tristan Jari, lower lower body injury is a new injury, not an aggravation of previous lower body injury. But then... That was quote tweeted about three hours after that by a fellow athletic uh, writer, Josh Yoey. And he said, I asked Jari if it was a new injury or a nagging injury 20 minutes before Sullivan talked. And he said, I'm not going to talk about that. So maybe some disinformation, maybe just some, you know, not going to not clarity for competitive reasons, which I understand. I get that. Nonetheless, I'm not sure how they're gonna handle these next couple games because this is the season we just went over the difference between winning four of your next nine games or six of your next nine games completely changes your your, the outlook on a getting into the playoffs or b what matchup you get in round one so they need whoever gives them the best chance to win to play these games if jari is not 100 percent, you probably go with casey I want to go over uh, Casey's game log here over the past five games because that's all NHL.com offers us. Thanks, NHL.com. So he his last five games, he only started three of his last five games. Uh, he came in relief in the March 14th Montreal game and the March 18th New York Rangers game. I believe so. They're not, they're not giving him the loss on the Rangers one. Um, I'm not exactly sure. I don't remember. I'm pretty sure he came in relief on both of those games, though. So, of those last five games, his first one was a start against Philadelphia on March 11th, where he got the win, and he saved 31 of 32 shots. And then in relief in Mo- against Montreal on the 14th, he saved 13 of 14 shots. March 18th against the Rangers, he only faced seven shots, but he saved five of them. Obviously, that percentage doesn't look great, but, you know, it didn't wasn't a large sample size. March 23rd against Dallas, just this past week, he saved 30 of 33 uh, shots. And then against Washington there, 31 saves on 34 shots. His season stats overall, he has a 907 save percentage, a 311 goals against. He's played 36 games this year. He has a 14, 15, and 4 record to show for it. And I don't want to make brass assumptions or, you know, I don't know, statements off, off of, based off of one game, but he looked really sharp against Washington and he's very confident right now in his, in his ability. Like I said, I think not only was that maybe his best, best period in that second period, that may have been his best game overall. He, he I don't have his career stats ahead in front of me, but I'm, I'm assuming he has some shutouts in there maybe one, two, three, whatever. I still think just based on performance, that was his best game. He played fantastic in that game against the Capitals. He had so many key saves to keep them in that game. I think it wouldn't be out of turn to say maybe ride, maybe ride Casey. Maybe ride him the rest of the way. There... Are there back-to-backs moving forward? I got to take a look here. I'm not exactly sure 
when the back when the uh, if there's any back to backs on the rest of the way. Let me take a look here, and because I have a th- there is, oh yeah Saturday Sunday there's a back to back in Pittsburgh Boston Philadelphia that's one obviously. Um, I think that's the only one, and that is the only one for the re- remainder remainder of the regular season. If Tristan is healthy enough, which I believe I guess he is because he backed him up on Saturday. I think you start Tristan one of those games. I don't know if you start him against Boston because welcome back. Jesus Christ. But I think you start him one of those games. But I think going forward, at least in the for the rest of this week, ride with Casey. Ride with, there, there's no harm in riding with Casey if you if you genuinely are still concerned about Tristan's health. The way Casey's been playing, I don't think he's going to be a long-term number one option. I'm not saying that at all. I'm saying for the for the situation you're in right now, is there a, is there a worse decision? Is there a better decision? I think he's the best shot. The best shot this team has this season. He has played. He's t- he just tied on Saturday his most uh, career ga- his most games played in a season at 36. He did that also in 18 19. He's honestly actually had his worst save percentage of the season over the course of his career. And I'm looking, I found his career stats here. He does have nine career shutouts. So he's gone nine games without allowing a single goal, but his best performance may have been against Washington. Maybe you ride the hot hand. That's my opinion. I think you give it, I think you consider it. I think you give it a shot. I have no concerns about riding Casey to Smith here, at least for the rest of this week. Because look at the games you're playing. Again, you don't want to play down to your opponent, but, but, you got Detroit. You got Nashville Thursday. Boston on Saturday. Philly Sunday. If you still think Tristan Jarry is your best goaltender and you want to ride with him possibly into the playoffs, I think it wouldn't be the worst idea if Tristan still has something nagging. Play Casey against Detroit. Play Casey against Nashville. Maybe, if you're confident enough, throw Tristan to in the Boston game. And then you can play Casey again on Sunday against Philly. Because if you're as con- if you're confident that Tristan's your guy and you want him to play the in a possible series against Boston, let him get acclimated to it. Let him play the better teams. Casey I think is going to perform good enough against the Red Wings, against the Predators and against the Flyers for that this team to win. I'm going to hedge a bet here and say if the Penguins lose any of those three games against Nashville, Detroit, or Philadelphia, I don't think it's going to be Casey DeSmith's fault if he plays. It's probably, if it's Jari, it might be a nagging injury he can't he can't play for. You give him rest until this Saturday. Let him shore up whatever's going on. Let Casey ride out these other three games. The two in the meantime and then the one right after on the back-to-back. And give Jari the tougher battle. That's my opinion. It's an idea. But the fact that this injury is a aggrava- is not an aggravation. And it's just a new injury again. It's given Penguin fans a bit of a pause on Tristan Jari again. And it definitely, I think, is solidifying the idea that the Penguins organization is going to look for, out- for outside options come this offseason, may, may it be at the draft, may it be during when free agency starts, I think they're going to look to move pieces, possibly, to get a new goalie in. We went over the UFA goaltenders first episode, and there's some names there, there's some no names there, sorry to be blunt, but that's just how it is. I think the best options are going to be ones that you have to give up assets for. And the two I'm thinking of, one I mentioned last episode, this the other one not. The first one was Jeremy Swayman, who is a pending RFA. If you want to offer sheet him, I think even if you offer sheet him at like five million, you still have to give up like a first and a third or something like that. I think your best course of action could be send some asset to Boston that makes it worth their while, and then sign him to five by five, five by three. 
maybe, something like that. He has a proven record. He's young, but he al- he's already proven that he can be a starter in the NHL. But as long as he's in Boston, especially after this uh, Allmark season that you know Allmark is having, Swayman's not going to be a starter. And, you know, these guys are competitive. These guys want to play. Even Casey said post-game on Saturday, talking about, I think uh, Rob Rossi asked him the question about, you know, do you want to, like, like, what are your thoughts here moving forward? Are you going to, are you going to challenge Tristan for the starting job now based on your performance? These guys want to play as much as they're a team and they want what's best for the team. They want to be out there on the ice. Jeremy Swayman has this bromance thing with Linus Allmark too. I understand that, you know, they, they, they seem like a very good duo. One of the best, you know, happiest goaltending duos there is, but even if you're the Bruins, you're not getting unless unless Swayman's taking a massive pay cut. Swayman's worth on the open market five, six million, four. I'd say somewhere between four to six. You're not. You don't want to pay your your backup goalie that. And then even if you do, Allmark's making five. You're gonna allocate eleven million dollars to your goaltending duo. They're too well run of an organization. Mitchell Miller aside. To make that decision, I think they are going to look at options to move him. Maybe they let a team offer sheet him and they pick up the compensation through that. Maybe they look to move him at the draft. I think if the Penguins were smart, they'd look at it. I really do. The other name that started getting its rounds, it's been years since this, like, you know, that this guy's been brought up year after year after year, but it's come up again recently over the past few weeks, is... Whitehall native John Gibson of the Anaheim Ducks. He's a local boy, which is not a, not a reason to bring him in because if that was the case, JT Miller would be a penguin and for the love of God, no. John Gibson, I think, is a really good goaltender. His numbers this year don't look pretty. He's on probably the worst defensive team in the NHL over the past decade. Like this is maybe the worst defensive unit or defensive structured team that you've seen since I don't even know how long. But the 2023 Anaheim Ducks are going to go down as one of the worst. And John Gibson faces 40 to 50 shots a game. I think on a if he was playing behind a fully healthy Penguins defensive group, I think he could be a top 10 goaltender in this league he's proven before he could be a top 10 goaltender in this league and he's not old he didn't just lose it he's still a young goaltender he's on a bigger contract i think he's making more now than what swayman will get um, this offseason i think he's at 6.4 gibson right now something like that with some term but i believe he can be a top 10 goaltender on this team but he's not going to see the benefits of his skill in Anaheim for years even if they get Connor Bedard I think Connor Bedard changes uh, a lot of franchises right away where he comes in and can make them almost an immediate contender because you get Connor Bedard you have free agents that want to start coming yada yada I think Anaheim is so far back in their rebuild that Connor Bedard gets them some wins but he doesn't make them a competitor he does not so I think Outside of the emotional aspect of getting Con- of uh, not Conor, of getting John Gibson to Pittsburgh, his hometown, I think that there's some sense to the Penguins looking at, at that option. Maybe you could get Anaheim to retain a little bit. They probably won't be able to because it's probably going to cost too much. But even at six point four, he's a great goalie. He's he's he he is a he's a very skilled goaltender, and he is going to waste with the Anaheim Ducks right now. So I'm saying it now, March 27th, the goaltenders I would look at, Jeremy Swayman, John Gibson, Tristan Jari, unless he comes back on like a one-year prove-it-cheap deal, which I don't think he's going to want, but that might be the only option for him. Unless something like that, which I think will be kind of crazy, unless something like that happens, the Penguins should and will Look outside the organization for goaltending help. 
and Casey has another year left, I don't hate him as a backup. I don't. Especially over the past week, he's proven that he's a good enough goaltender, I think, to stay in Pittsburgh and be a backup. He has had some bad performances. Excuse me. Don't get me wrong. He's had some bad performances. But if you just look purely at his numbers over his career, over his seasons with the Penguins, as a backup, he's affordable, and his numbers are really good. His career, he's a career 9-13, goals against of 2-7-9. That's fine. And this season, his goals against is 3-11. If you disregard this season and look at the, the four previous ones he's been with the Penguins, 9.79 in 21-22, 9.54 in 20-21, 9.75 in 18-19, and a, uh, sorry, sorry, 2.75. I don't know why I said that. 2.75 goals against in 18-19, 2.40 in 17-18. His save percentage through the years, 9.21, 9.16, 9.12, 9.14. This year, 9.04. So, think he's a fine backup totally okay with him being back there but there there's gonna be movement in the number one position unless which i've heard is a possibility they get jari on like a one-year prove it deal but again you're dealing with so much so many durability issues are you really gonna let goaltending for another year dictate whether you can be a playoff team or not or be a competitive team or not while the core inches closer and closer to retirement i don't think you can i don't know who's going to make that decision i don't know if it's going to be ron hextall or somebody else but you can't let that happen again now i've gone on really long so i don't want to take up too much more time but there's a few a few more things i did want to talk about and touch on briefly i know i talked about it earlier but the penguins inability to protect leads uh is going to be their undoing either in the playoffs or not the rest of the way i don't know what has happened but these a lot of these games the colorado game aside because i know i said they mentioned they played a 60 minute game there they really did outside of that game they play 35 to 40 minutes a night and at the and the worst part of it is is that the last 20 minutes is typically whenever they start shutting down there's some games where they'll end the first period 0-0, but they played a really good period. I'm fine with that. I like. I understand you can't automatically get the engine ignited right away sometimes. But you need to be able to finish strong. You can have slow starts sometimes, but you can't have as many slow finishes as they've had. I don't have the stat in front of me. I looked before we I started the show. I have no idea how many third period leads that they've given up. But it's it, it has to be first in the league. It has to be. If it's not first, it's top two, top three. This team cannot finish games. I don't know if it's a coaching problem. I don't know if it's a just a personnel problem, maybe. Nonetheless, this team cannot finish games, even in the Washington game. Obviously, Malkin, great celebration. It's a great goal. Awesome. They started that third period 3-0. Did they not? I have to check that because I don't want to just blatantly say that. They started at 2-0. I believe they had they went into the third period at 2-0. I believe they got the first goal in the third period as well. It goes to the Jake Gensel power play goal. Yeah. So they had a 3-0 lead early in the third. And they gave it up. Even games they win, they can't maintain that lead. That third period lead. And against if you have a seven-game series against not just Boston, Carolina, New Jersey, any of those teams. Those teams play all 60 minutes. They play for one another. They're dedicated players. They they care about it, uh, their, their team. They're on missions, Boston especially, because they know the end of the runway is right in front of them. They know Bergeron, Krejci, all that is, they're, 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 they're going to be done soon. They're playing for their captain right now. You cannot, you know, half-ass this. You have to finish your games. I understand health's been an issue. I get that. 
and part and I'm going to get into this the whole Tang thing here in a second but like something needs to change. I don't know what needs to change and may, maybe it's a coaching thing. I've been a big Mike Sullivan fan. But he needs to kick something into these guys that just say, hey, guys, third period, sh- lockdown. Other teams are able to. If you have a three-goal lead going into the third period or going into the last 15 minutes of a third period, that should be a win. But you also need to change the way you're playing. You can't just continually, you know, play, you know, offense and mess around in the neutral zone for that. You need to be able to lock down on defense, keep pucks to the perimeter. And that's not what it's not what's been happening. If you look at the la- the three goals that the Capitals got in the, in the third period to tie that game, it was just lapses in defense. The second goal, not as much Ovi that that you're not stopping that. I I don't blame DeSmith for for like honestly any of those goals. I think he played a great game. I think the defense you know straight up fumbled. The first goal was a Latang giveaway at the at his own blue line. And I'm going to get into that, honestly. I'll just get into that right now. Latang looks tired. Latang's been playing 30 minutes a night in lieu of this, of uh, all the other injuries that have been happening on the on the back end. And I think this two-day rest, which is happening you know, from yesterday to today, without having to play games, hopefully brings him back because over the stretch of the last week, he's been playing over 25 minutes, between 25 and 30 minutes, basically every night. We really need to get Petrie, Pedersen, Ruda, Kulikov, someone back. Because with the three AHL defensemen that are playing right now, Latang has been having to carry the load. POJ has also been having to carry the load. He played 24 minutes uh, around that for this past week, a game. And that's not who the player he is. It's just not. He's not that player. He needs to be on the bottom pair right now. Even second pair, I think, is a bit much for him. But he's been playing top line with Chris Letang out of necessity. And those guys need need a break. So please, everyone do a quick prayer circle for one of, if not all, Petrie, Pedersen, Ruda, Kulikov to come back. Because until then, it's it, it's rough. It's not looking good. I feel bad uh, because I, they're, they're really playing their hearts out here, but it, they just look exhausted. They look unbelievably exhausted. Quick notes, something I just, just things I wanted to quickly touch on. Drew O'Connor and Ryan Paling have really solidified their roles as, as forwards on this team moving forward. I think next year there's no way you can start the season without having them in your you know 12 forward group. I'm a little upset that they haven't played Nylander as much. That he's he's been getting scratched the past few games. He wasn't necessarily putting up the numbers, but I think he was making a lot of the right decisions, and I think he deserves another shot at it. But I mean, if you're getting points, you're winning games. You can't really, you know, be too upset about it. But in that Ottawa game, in that Dallas game, finishing was an issue. Maybe he can bring that. I thought he was going to be that guy whenever they called him up. He had a great season in the AHL. He was led the team in goals, points. Maybe you give him a bigger role, put him on power play two, maybe. Possibly you can get an extra goal out of it, maybe. Just a thought. Another thought, not really thought, more of just an, of an observation. Uh, Crystal Tang is quietly four games away from his 1,000th in the NHL, which is an unbelievable accomplishment. Like I said, played a bad game against Washington. Don't want to put too much of the blame because he's been playing way too many minutes. But game 997, I believe, will be against the Red Wings. 998 will be against Nashville. 999 will be against Boston. And then one game 1,000 should be, if you know, all goes according to plan, I believe, Sunday, April 2nd at, against Philadelphia which is a bit ironic because of how many times he's played Philadelphia in his career. But that, I'm sure, will be a great ceremony um, when it happens. And just congratulations to Crystal Tang. He's put up an incredible career, you know, for being a third third round pick. He's been one of the top 10 defenders, you know, for the last decade. So congratulations to him. And he will forever be probably the best Penguin defender 
all time. I wanted to talk more about Marcus, uh, oh, sorry, not Marcus, Mikhail Granlund, the other Granlund, but I don't think I'm going to do that this episode because we're already running pretty late. Um, and I also wanted to talk about just goal scoring uh, for amongst the top six, but again, we're running almost an hour, so we're going to cut it here. We'll I'll probably talk more about that during some of these post games. Again, I'm not sure when I'm going to do post games. I don't know if we're going to do one for the Red Wings or Predators games. Likely, we'll try to do one for Boston if I have time, because it's probably going to be a good game or an impactful game nonetheless, even if it's not a good game. But we'll see moving forward. Um, I'm going to end it right here. But make sure you follow us on Twitter at pens underscore cast and on Instagram at pens underscore cast. Thank you so much for listening. If you made it this far. And I will see you for the next one.